Hi guys and welcome to the Anfield Index Podcast, South African edition. This podcast, we will look to connect with Liverpool Football Club fans in South Africa as well as give the rest of the world an insight of what a Liverpool supporter is like in South Africa. We will have informative discussions about all things Liverpool as well as the odd rant and choke and banter about the club that is so dear to us all. Tonight I'll be joined by an esteemed panel of podcasters from all corners of SA. We've got Mr. Ivan Devine, Mike Kroch, Brent Fenter, Kaylin Karim, and myself, Lloyd Hicks, the host tonight. I think we'll start off proceedings by getting to know our handpicked panel of podcasters as each individual provides us with a background on how they came to support the Mighty Reds, the highs, the lows, and some of the best moments over the years. So, Brent, once firstly, welcome to the inaugural SA podcast. Would you like to share some of your origin stories to our listeners and um, like, you know, how you got to support Liverpool and, and some stories over the years? Yeah, thanks, Lloyd. Yeah, for me, um, as a kid, watched a bit of football with my folks. Uh, South African households were, were a lot more, um, with mine, was a lot more rugby and cricket orientated. Um, so we watched a bit of football. And I remember one year watching Arsenal playing and uh, Ian Wright was playing for them. And I sort of said to my dad, hey, this guy's quite a good footballer I think I must be a, an Arsenal supporter and you know obviously coming from a family of, of fans my my dad's a Liverpool fan uh, his mom and dad are Liverpool fans and um, it was pretty much a case of listen pal you you're gonna live in my in my house you're gonna support Liverpool and you know I change allegiances as a kid you're allowed to change allegiances a few times it wasn't uh, glory hunting back then and I remember very well when I turned 16, we played Newcastle in that 4-3 match. And, you know, since that day, I've just, you know, I've, I've, I've turned into a, a real football fan. You know, the, the, never, day, the never say die attitude, uh, the, the commitment, the belief the players put into themselves into that match, which, which was evidenced also in the Champions League final, which we, which we won. Um, it, just, it just made it impossible not to fall in love with the club and just the values and the and the belief and just the general attitude of the of the players. I think it's hard not to support a club with that sort of passion and and you know love for each other and for their own club. Awesome stuff, man. Um, some great stories over there, Ivan. From your side, man, what was it? What was it like supporting Liverpool growing up? And 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 what's what's a bit of your origin story over there? Uh, <clears throat> well, for me, it all started when I was around ten years old. I was playing for a little uh, football club uh, in Primetown, Durban, called uh, Eskom Football Club. And one night we had our award ceremony where they hand out, you know, most improved player of the year and whatnot. And the uh, guest of honor, as it were, was uh, Bruce Kobler. And now in the city of Durban, there's two major foreign teams that you support. It's either Liverpool or Man United. And in Eskom Football Club uh, in particular, there was, a, there was a big Liverpool contingent. And I saw the way the parents looked at him when he spoke about these great nights and the, and the honor of playing for Liverpool Football Club. And as a kid, I was starry-eyed. I fell in love. Um, I was very young at the time, and this, uh, this time coincided with Istanbul and the FA Cup, a period of relative success to the Reds. So this just increased my, 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 my following. But I was cemented as a supporter when I watched uh, Liverpool beat Chelsea in the Charity Shield. After they had just spent the fortune of Shevchenko, it was this story that I fell in love with. The authenticity, the history that can't be bought. And that's how it all began. Awesome stuff, man. Um, yeah, uh, some great stories over there once again, Ivan. Um, you said you were from Durban, eh? Durban boy. Durban boy. Brilliant stuff, man. Galen, um, from your side, um, yeah, could you, can you just enlighten our listeners about like what, what your story is about and, and how you came about Liverpool? 
Yeah, sure. Thanks, Lloyd. Thanks for the thanks for the introduction, by the way, Lloyd. I've never ever been called esteemed in my life before. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going to put it on my CV. <laughs> um, how I found Liverpool. In truth, I I had no choice. I had no choice in supporting Liverpool. Both my parents came from families that supported Liverpool. There is a small section of my kin that supports United, but uh, you know we treat them like family anyway. Back when I was born, we didn't have a lot of money, which obviously meant no TV. When I was little, I used to try and watch Liverpool through the neighbor's window. There was a fence that was just big enough for a kid to look over. And they caught me a couple times looking in through their window to try and watch Liverpool on their TV, which was obviously a bit awkward. Uh, When I was about five or six, we got our first TV. It was a a small, cheap tube thing. And uh, there weren't a lot of matches. Our public broadcaster didn't used to broadcast many matches. But my dad and I, we watched sort of every single game we could watch. Back in the 80s, what I do remember of the matches is if there was one, it was going to be a Liverpool match. And uh, I think that was because of the, you know, the level of support that they already had in the country by that time. What hooked me initially, personally, was the absolute magician that we all know as John Barnes. I'm not sure if people outside of South Africa can imagine, but during the 80s was obviously a time we'd sort of rather forget. But you lived in a regime where people used to tell you that because of the color of your skin, you wouldn't achieve anything. You, know, you were worthless. You couldn't, you couldn't do the same things as other people. And the next thing you see is this utterly skillful, eloquent, you know, elegant prince of a man. And he was just dancing around the football field. And he was playing you know, for my actual club. And that's why John Barnes is a hero here. It's, it's not just because of his football skills. It's because of more. I, w- I was obviously aware of other people. Uh, Kenny and Rush. Beardsley was one of my dad's favorites. And Houghton was one of mine. But Barnes was really the channel through which I discovered beautiful football for the first time. The TV situation has changed, actually, by the way. Sort of over the years, we've gone from having almost no TV in the 80s. Although I reckon Mike could tell you more about this. But we went from having no TV in the 80s to having all the matches, all the... We have better coverage of the English Premier League now than anywhere in the world, and that's bar none. So we get more matches than the English, actually, which is which is pretty interesting than any English in individual English city. But yeah, once it was done, it was done from that age. I would bleed red until I bled no longer. And uh, yeah, that's sort of how I, I found the club. Although I've got to say at times, it sort of felt like the, the club has found me. Great stuff, Kalen, man. Yeah, awesome story there, man. And we all remember those days. And yeah, like I said, it was, it was hard for us back then. Mike, um, you're obviously in the, someone in the perfect position to you know chat about the past, being the elder, elder amongst us. Um, what are some of the experiences for you? And, and, and where does your origin story start? Hi guys, I'm Mike Kroch, the toppy of the podcast. <laughs> literally, literally transmulated, that means old man. I've been supporting Liverpool for longer than most of my fellow podcasters have been alive. 40 years this year. I started following Liverpool after seeing the highlights of the 1974 FA Cup final at the cinema. They would show the newsreels, and inevitably this would include some soccer. I fell in love with this club that played football as I'd never seen it played. This was really the first time that I'd seen the club in action, from there I was hooked. I started to buy the shoot magazine, which had everything about English football, including the match roundups, teams, results, and scores. The mag also had guest columnists. I remember reading Kevin Keegan's column and thinking how lucky I am to be following this club. It was only after subscribing to shoot that I actually realized this had been Chanks' last game leading the club in the, in the 74 final. In those days, the only visuals that you saw were the newsreels at the cinemas, as TV only came into South Africa in 1976 and then was very limited viewing. 
The first live broadcast that I saw was the 1977 FA Cup final between us and United. We had just won the league and were favourites for the game. And I was really looking forward to watching my team for the first time in a live broadcast. I was devastated that we lost, but then we went and won the European Cup four days later in, in Rome. I think to me the greatest experience has to be watching the Istanbul final, even though it was at home. The sheer heartbreak of the first half, followed by the glimmer of something, the soaring of hope, and then the near certainty that we were going to do it was actually amazing. Um, I've followed this club right through, uh, through the good times, down through the slumps, and hopefully we're heading up uh, to the peaks again. That's my story, Lloyd. Great stuff, man, Mike. Um, yeah, I should remember Shoot Magazine because um, back in the day I used to get some of those. Remember those those magazine stores where they actually would weigh your books? So you would go there, pick up a couple of football mags, weigh it, 10 oh, bucks. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> so I yeah. used to do that and then get home, take out the centerfold, you know, paste it on my wall and on the flipping ceilings, everything. And, um, yeah, my, my parents were... were well, crazy about that, man. But anyways, my story starts, um, yeah, basically I used to play football when I was younger. I played for a little um, club in our area over here. And um, we, we had this family friend that was a couple of years older than me, uh, four or five years. And um, I remember we, like when I would play under 13, under 15 level, um, he was obviously at, at in the higher age groups. And, and I used to look up to this guy because he was immense as a striker. You would, basically anything you push forward to him, um, he would slot away, you know, it was the closest thing and I could possibly share a risk, you know, obviously within the small boundaries of where we live. But yeah, he was absolutely immense. And I remember he supported Newcastle United at the time of, um, you know, when Andy Cole was just emerging and uh, Peter Beardsley left us and you know, went there, obviously. Um, so, so he was supporting Newcastle and what happened was I, I was kind of, you know, looking up to this guy and then following the same trend. And my dad actually called me one side one day and he's like, what the hell are you doing? You support the, the Red Club from Merseyside, man. There's nothing else I'm, I'm going to hear about that. And yeah, I guess the rest is history. Eh? For me, uh, Liverpool, you know, it's the closest thing, it's as close to a family member that I can get, I guess. I mean, um, I bleed red, I watch all the games, follow all the news. Um, over the years, um, See if you see some of you guys. Uh, obviously, John Barnes, John Barnes was mentioned. For me, it was the Bleach Boy man, God Robbie Fowler himself. He was the guy that fucking actually hooked me, and um, the guy was just immense, man. As a striker, we were privileged to to see that. And then once again, like at, it was around about the time that that all all of South Africa basically had um, football in the telly, and, and I, I was privileged to see this, um, this this awesome player that we had. But yeah, on on so on the South African topic, what I'd like to add is, um, with us being a South African podcast, so many fans would like to know what things are like being, you know, a foreign-based Liverpool supporter or a South African-based supporter. Some of the rituals, pre-match um, processes you go through. Um, do you go out to watch matches? Do you belong to any local um, Liverpool-related clubs? And um, just basically, in a nutshell, what it's like uh, being in South Africa and supporting Liverpool for our foreign listeners of, uh, um, that obviously will be listening to our pod. Um, Ivan, from your side, could you describe um, what it's like to support from so far and, and how, do you do, how would you describe it? Um, I believe we're actually very lucky to be, support, to be supporting Liverpool and South Africa. Kaylin touched on it. We do get excellent coverages of all the games. We get pre-season friendlies, post-season friendlies. I mean, all of the games, I think we've seen them. We might miss one or two, but we get most of the games here. 
And especially when it comes to time difference. I mean, you don't find us waking up at 3 a.m. to catch games and, you know, 12, uh, 12 in the night or whatnot. It, it, it's relative. We're only two hours ahead. So we don't find ourselves at early hours in the morning or late hours at night trying to catch the game. So I, I do believe in that, uh, in that respect, we're, we're very lucky this time. Um, my pregame ritual, it changed quite a lot last season. I found a, I picked up a new superstition every week as we approached the final week, just to continue that, that run of wins. I found myself washing dishes at half time, making noodles at half time, anything to keep the... No, the, no dirty underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not. Anything to keep the run going that, that I had done in the last game that we got a win, I did it the next week. And somehow, uh, every week a new ritual was was created but uh my, my my usual one was just trying to get down to the pub get a couple of beers and uh that's pretty much how i watched the game and i found that uh, liverpool is like a family and in south africa i believe we're an extremely friendly part of the family i mean i've gone to games in durban cape town johannesburg and everywhere whenever i watch a game i find myself leaving with a new friend liverpool related you know, whenever I sit down and we score a goal, I've got 20 guys celebrating with me. You know, it's just the passion and we, it's, we're all united by that one love. So I think, I think that's what makes us special and different is the fact that, you know, we don't, we don't care where you're from or whatever. As long as you support Liverpool, we're all very good friends. I mean, every single time I go out to a mall with my Liverpool shirt, I always get a compliment. So I think in South Africa, we've got a very loving community in terms of a Liverpool community. And I think we, you know, we're, we're all very happy and we do get to watch most of the games. So I believe we're, we're quite blessed to be in this location. Great stuff, man. Totally agree with you over there. Um, Kaelin, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think, are you from Durban or Joburg? I'm from everywhere. <laughs> Proudly South African, eh? Um, yeah, can, can you just give us a little, a little rundown of, of what things are like in, in your neck of the woods? I mean, um, I'm keen to hear if you guys um, are... Uh, you mentioned to me previously that you joined the local club, the local Liverpool supporters club in your area. Um, what, what's that like? And, and just describe like what you normally go through on, on match day. On match day for me, it's it's really important to just... Um, for me, Liverpool's a family thing. It's always been a family thing. Our house is mad. People actually get scared to come watch things with us on game day because of how loud we get. Neighbours have complained. The most important thing for me, I don't really have any pre-match rituals uh, or anything like that, but I have to be, especially with my dad, we, we watch all the games together. He's sort of very important in the way I've looked at Liverpool because he's taught me to be critical while still supporting a club. It's not sort of my country, right or wrong. It's you have to be critical and you're going to support something. You have to be able to say it's yours. And to be able to do that, you have to criticize. So... That's what it was to me. Uh, we have joined the local official Liverpool supporters club, the Gauteng branch. We just joined sort of at the beginning of this season. We only went to go watch the one match, but it was, it was really, really, really good. It's uh, to be with so many people, to have so much fun when the goals go in. You know, and this season was just all the goals. So we, it was just so much fun to have. I just want to say on a, on a note about supporting South Africa with Liverpool, there's actually a really long history with South Africa and Liverpool. Uh, this, this goes sort of back to the, the naming of the cop stand that was named after our little hill, the Spion Cop, uh, where a famous battle was fought, you know, a long time ago during the Second Boer War. It was due to it being really steep hill. You must remember in those days, in the 1900s, 
it wasn't sta- stadiums and stuff. It was a bank. So there weren't, there weren't seats on it. It was just a bank of sand. It was steep. And a lot of places in England actually had a thing called the cop. But Liverpool were the first people to do it formally. So we started calling it the cop in 1906 informally. And an echo journalist uh, actually coined it. But it was formally installed in 1928, which is your history lesson for today. But that means we probably have the longest international relationship with Liverpool from any club by England, which is pretty awesome. And I think that's why the, the, you have all these supporters groups now. Uh, the one in Gauteng is, is very active and we join in with people from Cape Town. There's, there's weekly, um, if, every time there's a game, you know, there's somewhere to go. But more importantly, for example, I, I wasn't able to go, but this year they also did a thing where they went down to Spionkop for the Hillsborough anniversary. Just hundreds of Liverpool fans, they just took leave off. They just went down and paid their respects. It's something that was, you know, pretty wonderful. Great stuff, man, Kalen. Um, thanks for the history lesson there. I caught that one. <laughs> um, yeah, Mike, from, from your side, man, like, um, what, what do you normally get up to before, before a match? And, um, yeah, what are some of the things you like to do on, on a match day? Well, I'll tell you what, following, following on from Kalen is damn difficult, especially <laughs> of the history, uh, history lesson. <laughs> you know, guys, uh, football season is really my wife's nightmare, but she's an absolute star and really knows when to leave me alone. She knows when to commiserate or to celebrate. I must have become far better and generally only watch Liverpool uh, matches. We tend to schedule everything around the games. So do not invite me uh, somewhere when Liverpool are playing. Not if you want me uh, there. Change the schedule. Um, I think that's seriously been um, drilled into to my entire family and, and uh, friends. I do get together with a bunch of mates to watch the scum games. But generally, I prefer to watch mine, although I'm looking at joining the local supporters club. I think, uh, I think it's not time. Previously, you know, the only way to support Liverpool was to listen to live broadcasts on the radio when you could get them, and through, obviously through magazines such as Shoot. We're now relatively lucky with the TV coverage that we get. Virtually all of the Liverpool games are shown, even the friendlies. We were able to watch the last two pre-season tours, the USA and the East, and our time zone relative to the UK is also fairly good, one to two hours behind Depended on daylight saving. Special thought for the other buggers. I've watched Liverpool in Phuket, Kuala Lumpur, Sydney, um, Miami, and Peru. And the times that uh, the boys in some of those places have to be awake to follow the team are unbelievable. So we we really are la- lucky. And uh, as Kalen said, South Africa bleeds red. Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys over there. Um, for me personally, um, I'm, I'm a very outgoing guy. I like to go watch the game in, in, in new and venues I haven't been before. And, and obviously being South African, um, you know, we all like to get our pry on, pry being barbecue for the guys that, that don't know. Um, but if you come to South Africa, I'm sure the first thing anyone will do is throw you a pry. Um <laughs> Love, uh, love to get my beer in, you know, just basically have a good time with, with friends. I've obviously got a diverse b- a bunch of friends, all kinds of supporters, even the Manx, but, um, and they give me a, a super hard time all the time. But yeah, um, for me, um, the local supporters club, the Cape Town local supporters club, I actually don't belong to them. And I know a lot of them are on Twitter, so they're going to give me shit after this, after they listen to it. But um, I've only been once um, to, to the supporters club itself. I actually went for the 5-1 Arsenal demolition. And my man, that place, we almost tore the roof off that day. It was so intense. I actually met a couple of uh, new guys over there. And you know, and whenever, whenever a goal went in, you like uh, I think Kalen said, 
you have 10 guys, 10 grown men all over you. It's like, oh my word, beer falling all over the show. You know, it was just basically a very good time. Um, but anyways, guys, moving on. Poetry in Motion is a phrase that, that was used to describe last season. The season itself was like a full-blown symphony, taking our spirits through highs and lows. Such a brilliant season on the one hand and such a massive disappointment on the other. So close, but so far. But Champions League is back at Anfield and hope, and this time real hope. So much to digest, you could write a novel on it. So coming at you, Brent, if you could sum up 2013-2014 uh, season, what are some of the things that, that really stood out for you and, and, and um, some of the highlights? Thanks, Lloyd. I think the, the big thing for me that stood out was the team spirit, the, 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 the beautiful style of football that we played. I think from game one, when Mignolet saved the penalty against Stoke, you could see the team was together. They were, they were fighting they were they were going to put in the maximum effort to to make a successful season. They, you know, we we saw opposition fans switch from being, you know, Liverpool haters to to starting to love the game, starting to love watching Liverpool play. And you saw on Twitter the the, the switch, the shift, you know, not just from fans but from media, talking about even Suarez having his past issues and you know, moving to such a, a positive, you know, happy way of, of watching the, 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 the team. Uh, for me, the outstanding moment last season was definitely Arsenal demolition. Just the way, the, the high pressure, the, the 20 minutes of pressing, we just blew them out the water. And that, for me, just turned our season around. We had a tough couple of games. We didn't perform against Hull. And that Arsenal match just, I think, showed the world, what we were capable of. And that, that sort of put us on, on the front foot for the rest of the season. The tough moments, definitely Gerard slipping and potentially costing us the game against Chelsea. It, it, it was hard to watch, especially since his, his uh, rousing speech against Man City. Um, and then, yeah, for me, goal of the season has to be Coutinho versus Man City. And um, I'd like to say save of the season without a doubt, the, the first penalty save of the season from, from the MIG um, just got us going on the front foot for the season and, and um, you know, in, in a positive, positive frame. Great stuff, man. Fully agree with you there. Um, Ivan, from, from your side, what, um, if you could sum up the last season, um, um, how would you do that? Um, I think it was a, a brilliant season. I really enjoyed it. My favorite moment of the season was the Coutinho! moment it swung at all the moment was go- the, 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 the <laughs> momentum was going against us city grabbing the equalizer game slipping from us and what a goal it was he, he hadn't been consistent with his finishing been, uh, you know criticized a lot but what a time to, to to come in with what an important goal um my favorite game of the season was the uh tottenham five north i mean without Sturridge and gerard people were wondering what we would do we hadn't won it uh, at white Hart lane for i think it was four seasons now and we went there and we just battered them. And I believe it was also more of a psychological barrier. You know, it, 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 to me, it seemed like it put us out of Tottenham's league, as if to say, you know, I mean, we're not really competing for fourth anymore. I mean, you can't compete with us. And uh, let us not forget that was the one, that was the game which finally got AVB sacked and uh, brought the tactical genius Tim Sherwood into play. Um, my favorite save from a <laughs> From a psychological uh, point of view, I don't think anybody can look through, uh, look past Mignolet's penalty save. I mean, that really started off 
the league and really put us on the on the front foot. But uh, from a technical perspective, I think my favorite uh, favorite save was a triple save Mignolet pulled against uh, Southampton when we lost one 0 at home. I think it's Luke Shaw. He gives it to Lalana and then uh, uh, Sako tackles him and then it's this deflection and he stops it. Then Sako tries to hit it away and it goes back on goal and he stops it on the floor and then he punches it away literally seconds before uh, an onrushing Southampton player comes and put, puts it in the back of the net. So that was my favorite save from a technical perspective. Of course, I think everybody's low point of the season was definitely the Chelsea bus. I mean, I was empty after that. I, I had no idea what to do with myself. I couldn't console myself. No one could console me. I, I just, I don't know, I just couldn't do anything with myself. And uh, my favorite goal, geez, there's quite a couple there especially with a player like Suarez on your team. But I think uh, Suarez is third against Norwich where he flicks it over Leroy Firth and hits a, a volley, which is it doesn't really look... He hits it a bit late by the looks of it, but it just arrows into that bottom right-hand corner. Or maybe even his uh, second against Cardiff at home was also well brilliant. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Um, yeah, Kalen, um from your side, um, what are some of the highlights of, of last season? Um some of the low points, like I see Ivan touched on that as well, but um, yeah, if you could give us like a, a rundown on your season, on your review of last season. Look, at the beginning of the season, I think I did what every Liverpool fan did. We looked at the squad, we wondered where we we're going to finish, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that we had we had better than the fifth-best squad that season. So I, I thought we were going to finish fifth. This was a problem because, uh, like it's been touched on, AVB had just been fired from Chelsea for doing too much. And we've seen throughout the season, managers have been fired for, you know, basically not bringing Jesus back. It, was, it, it, it gets so fickle sometimes. And I thought if we finish fifth, maybe Anfield was a bit too hungry for success. And maybe we'd fire Rodgers. Uh, one thing I can say, almost mag- magnanimously across the board, South African fans were all believing in Brendan Rodgers. But, uh, you know, there was still a lot. If you, if you looked on Twitter, there was still a lot of doubt and stuff. Like he was very young. He was trying some stuff. And then these goals just started to go in, man. They, they just started to go in everywhere. We were as bad defensively as we were good offensively. If we were a game, we'd have two buttons. And the one would be score at will, and the other one would be implode defensively. Seriously, it was almost like Sturridge was talking to Glenn Johnson going, Glenn, man, don't, don't stop the cross. Don't stop it, man. Don't, don't worry. We'll get it. I, I want to dance. Just don't, don't stop it. And that happened the entire season. It was... Um, I, ne- I never really thought we would win the Premier League until the City game and Coutinho scored that goal. I just thought it was ours. I thought it was fate. I had the 2005 feeling again, but to, to, to have it so quickly torn away at Chelsea and that ridiculous, ridiculous Palace match was was actually terribly gutting. Um, the thing is, though, you know, when you have those moments to see, for example, at the Palace match, to see Stevie push away his own emotions to help Suarez out was, uh, you know, something a little bit special. So on the whole, it was just the most hectic season. It was like, you know, the breathless dash of a child having too much fun with it, almost tripping over itself from the effort and later just the exhaustion. I don't think that we were naive or unaware of our faults, but it was just this astounding, wonderful rush. It should remind us how incredibly, incredibly blissful the game is. How we're lucky we are to support a sort of, you know, a club like that. What was, what was good? I thought I'd preempt what everybody else was going to say, and um, I'm going to say the match at Arsenal, not the one that you're thinking. I'm going to go for the 2-1 loss, actually, when, you know, after they got battered at Anfield. What happened? The FA Cup game. Yeah, that's it, yeah. 
the what happened that game is we tried to blitz them again. Sturridge wasn't having a great game. But then we started controlling the game after 20 minutes for very large parts. Arsenal, let's dig deep. I mean, at this stage, they were still just, they were still smashing it. They were still one of the best teams in the league, bar none. But I think this is when I realized that this was all for real. We'd fight, we'd learn, we'd keep on going, we'd slip and we'd go again, and it was going to be all right. Uh, the other huge thing for me was seeing the support again raise the levels of sort of what I've seen in the 1980s. I thought the team really gave us back our religion after years of metaphorically sort of wandering around the desert. The bad points, uh, I don't know, there wasn't too much that was, that was, they were very bad. You know, defensive lapses were frustrating. Cup runs weren't great. We didn't have Europe. That wasn't cool. Worst game was Chelsea. The transfers were pretty, you know, stupid. We conceded a lot of goals, but we scored, we scored 101 goals. We scored 101 goals during the season. How bad could it have possibly have gone? Um, so I thought I thought it was wonderful. I thought some of the stuff Rogers did during the season was absolutely incredible. He gave us back this notion of the way Liverpool play and a sort of Liverpool player or, or what that person should be. I think I felt the team itself got instilled with a sense of respect for the opposition, for what it means to wear the shirt, for the fans. You know, Rogers fixed things he said he was going to fix. He went beyond that. And just how the heck anybody can wait for next season is beyond me. Um, I think to finish off, yeah, save of the season, I'm going to go for the for the Villa penalty again. Goal of the season, it was tied for me. It was Flano's goal against Tottenham. But also Suarez's like little dink against Tottenham. It just felt like he was waiting for everybody to come into the perfect place so that he could just chip it wonderfully in, into the net. And yeah, that's, a, that's more or less my thoughts. Okay, Lloyd, um... I've followed the club through the glory years, the lean years, even these latest years. But I seriously don't think I've ever been through emotions of a season like the last. It was unbelievable. Outstanding moment for me was City at home. Although Spurs away, Arsenal at home, and United at home were also great. The game at City, though, for the sheer drama. Uh, two up, then being pegged back and seemingly losing control only for Phil to score the winner was for me the highlight. The worst moment was Palace, even worse than Chelsea. Chelsea I could still accept as we got caught out tactically and showed our naivety in trying to force the game. Palace devastated me as we were superb going forward and then drew a game we had no right to drop points in. It really was an absolute down after coming so close. While the save was not necessarily the best made, my save of the year has to be Mignolet's penalty save against Stoke for its importance to the season going forward and the belief that it gave the team. My goal of the year was not a Suarez goal, but that of Sterling's against Man City just for the sheer cheek and finish. That's my rep. Awesome stuff, Mike, man. Yeah, for me, from my side, you know, the important ones stand out like your Arsenal's and, and your Spurs. I actually missed Spurs completely. That 5 0 away uh, demolishment of Spurs, I actually could miss that whole game. It's very sad with myself. But, anyways, for me, the match of the season was a bit of a weird one, but I would say Stoke away, surely because of, you know, the bogey that we've had, that, that they've had over us, at least the team, the venue, um, Obviously, Pulis had gone, but uh, for me, the 5-3 result was, was just a mad, mad game, man. And for me, like, you could see Suarez and Sturridge they were telepathic at times, and, and the goals that they scored was, was absolutely awesome. Um, I'd have to go with my low point, the Chelsea. For me, that was worse than Palace. Sorry, Mike. But yeah, Chelsea, just the, the anti-football that they came with. And <laughs> I don't know the, the Anfield end yesterday that they was going on, but the anti-football, so I'll probably have a chuckle at that one. But um, yeah, the anti-football. 
Um, if for me the goal of the season, I guess, uh, was the studied chip chip uh, from outside the box against um, West Brom. Absolutely awesome. I, I mean, I don't think anyone saw that one coming. But um, once again, it just shows the the class of the lad. Um, yeah, m- moving right on, guys. Um, after an emotional roller coaster that was last season, we now turn our eyes to the new season. Um, Liverpool going into this campaign with huge expectation, new challenges, and renewed hope. Based on last season, what what are your expectations for the new season, and and what are your expectations um, in the Champions League? Um, Kalen, do you have anything to add there on on, on next season? Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Lloyd. Um, Next season will be our 123rd season in existence, our 52nd consecutive season in the top flight. Those are all the statistics of research. Hashtag statistics. Actually, that one is for Dan Kennett. That one's just for you, Dan. Uh, Rogers came out recently. <laughs> he said, <laughs> Rogers came out. He said that Liverpool sort of have to kick on. We have to play with the expectation that we're going to win the Premier League. We return to the Champions League, and um, you know, there's an expectation of improvement, even possible success. I've had a look at the fixtures. Uh, we all discussed it. Uh, we've got a bit of a difficult start, you know. For me, the tricky fixtures are either always going to be predictable or tricky. The ones at Villa, the ones at Southampton and, and West Ham and that Stoke, they're always going to be tricky and they'll present problems for other teams as well. So I was more looking for clusters of, of top games and um, what's going to happen in December and, the, and at the end of the season. I thought last season was critical because it, it cost us bad with our small squad. With additions for me and what I think is a slightly more evenly spread fixture roster, I think we could, I reckon we could actually do pretty well. This is mitigated by, you know, the extra fixtures. We'll have to see how we handle that. And obviously transfers will play a big part in that. For that, I think we need net five extra players uh, who, who, who can play in the first team regularly. So given a decent transfer window and those five um, those five transfers, I'll go for obviously top four, but I reckon I reckon we'll be fighting for top two A, eh? and uh, maybe even semi in the FA. This depends on our January transfer January transfer window at all uh, as well. If we get two good transfer windows, some magic from Rogers, I reckon I reckon we could go all the way. We could win the title. Champions League, uh, that is going to be epic. Anfield is going to absolutely just light the sky on fire for those nights. That will be. That'll be a huge help. I genuinely think teams would hate for us to be in their groups. I think some teams will be scared. I know that's mitigated by a bad um, pot number, possibly, but I think we could have some great fixtures. I think we'll do all right. We'll get through the group stages. I reckon we'll end up hitting uh, quarterfinals in the Champions League. I might be a bit optimistic, but yeah, those are those are sort of my predictions. Thanks. Yeah, that's that genuinely like the, the aim what most of us are looking forward to. But brilliant stuff, Kylan, man. Um, Mike, from your side, what are you looking forward to in, in the new season? I believe that we should be challenging for the title again as long as we're able to substantially reinforce our, our squad. We need starters in as well as capable squad players. Our major goal has to be top three again. Um, I'm concerned about our defence and keeping options as well as midfield backup. I probably would see Rainer, possibly Johnston if a new re- reduced contract is not agreed, Egger, Ture, Aspas, Asadi, Jones, Quartes, and maybe even some of the youngsters leaving, such as Alberto on loan, Suso, Robinson, even Kelly, as well as some additional loans depending on our success in the window. Ibe, Wisdom, Yesel, Cody, McLaughlin, Brad Smith, Rosetta, and St. Clair. This will all be very dependent on how successful we are in getting the targets that the manager has identified. We'll need a squad of at least 20 players to compete on all uh, fronts. 
In terms of signings, backup goalkeeper, the left back and right back at Johnson goes. Positions, another central defender, an all-round midfield and attacking midfielder would probably be what we're looking for. We've signed uh, Lambert and Chan, meaning that five would bring us to a squad of around 16 with five or six to come in. As long as we can keep Suarez, I'm comfortable with our attack uh, with uh, the one addition, although that's for discussion later. Champions League is back. Anfield Knights, what a joy. I believe that we'll get through, to th through the group stages, especially with our style of play. I'm not sure about the knockout rounds, as this needs more tactical sense than what we have shown. We have to learn to be more patient to be able to close up shop, and I'm not sure that we're uh, there yet. I know that Rodgers has shown the ability to adapt, so I don't think that we'll have repeats of last season in terms of tactical uh, naivety, but this will be his first challenge in Europe, and he will learn from it. I think Champions League last 16 will be good, quarters tops. I do believe that the club... Uh, will be targeting the quarters. That's when the, when the financial rewards really become superb. Really looking forward to next season, Lloyd. Great stuff, man, Mike. Uh, Brent's having a go at me over here. I'm, I'm sorry, Brent, man. Um, but, yeah, what are your thoughts on the new season going forward? <laughs> I think I'm going to jump in with a story of mine first. I've actually got two stories going back a bit. Um, just about sporting football in, in uh, South Africa, foreign country, and uh, the love for the game. I got married in February 2011, 2012. My wife's not here. She won't shout at me. And uh, <laughs> she, we, we went on honeymoon in that March um, to Zanzibar. And typically we planned it before the, the fixtures came out. And it happened to be we were playing Arsenal. So I think it was second or third day of honeymoon. We were sitting in the, in the room in the middle of beautiful Zanzibar for two hours watching Liverpool lose to Arsenal. So that was one day written off for, for honeymoon. Other story is, um, um, you know, again, just think Kenan and Ivan touched on having so many football games as, as a Liverpool fan in South Africa. I, I actually abuse Supersport's Twitter account all the time, especially when they show a Stoke match or not Liverpool match. So much so that they've actually, they've actually uh, blocked me. So I can't rant at them anymore. I can't swear at them anymore. And uh, I have to find a, another way to get my message across, like, like phone them and, and hassle them over the phone. Good um, man. Yeah, I've seen you Good on man. Twitter, man. I've seen this guy on Twitter. He's like a pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 the first, not the first one to block you, Brent. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had a few. I've had a few. So, so on to just the preview. I, I also see us challenging for the title, uh, I, but but for me, the, the big change will be the last five games of the season. I think this was our first first time in a long time where we challenged for the title all the way to the end, and that's it's tough. You have to go through that that the mental tiredness, the physical tiredness with the last five matches, the stress you put under not only from yourself, but the fans, the club, the expectation to, to perform. And I'm a firm believer you have to go through it at least once as, as, a, as a squad before you can actually take that step up and win a title. And for me, we went through that last season, and I can see us really, really pushing close this season, if not winning the whole thing. I hope we do strengthen, like you guys have touched on. I think we... We need a bit more depth in terms of strong players, guys who can back up 
the Sturridge's of the world, guys who you will slot in if Henderson isn't playing. I mean, I think we were we we were shown up quite quite heavily last season when when Henderson was injured. Ah, not injured. He was suspended for the last few games, and we want someone who's going to slot in there and be as good, and not if not in some cases better. And I, I think we've got one or two guys on the radar, but we definitely need that depth. There's a lot more games to play. There's a lot more people to play against. And last thing we want to do is become Arsenal, where we peak in December and then fall away because the players get tired. That said, I'm with Kalen. I, I think Rodgers will strengthen. I think we'll get a good four or five top, top players, which will help us challenge not only for for the title, but uh, for Champions League honours. And yeah, you guys also said it. I think you stole my thunder that... I think quarterfinals is is a strong possibility if we manage to pull together the same kind of form as last season with a couple of of additions. So yeah, that's that's my um, my preview. Awesome stuff, man, Brent. Yeah, Ivan, I, I can see you itching to you know go ahead with the Champions League um, and and the season to come. What are your thoughts on on the you know upcoming season? <laughs> well, first off, I'd just like to uh, point to Brent that uh, Jordan Henderson doesn't get injured. That, that that doesn't happen. The only matches he misses is suspension. There's no such thing as injury <laughs> for for Jordan Henderson. Um, and it, and uh, he's, he's, he's a rock. Yeah, yeah he no, know. he runs everywhere. <laughs> no, he's, 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 he doesn't get injured. He's amazing. Um, in terms of uh, for next season, I'd love to. I'd love for us to get to the quarterfinals in the Champions League. That's when, as Mike said, um, your extra, your, your, your real lucrative, it, it becomes really lucrative to be in the Champions League. It's definitely from quarterfinal stages onward. And also, I think Liverpool has the history of a pedigree in, in, in Europe. We always seem to conjure up something special, you know, pull the rabbit out of the hat and just, you know, get over the line. I think, I think that's where Liverpool really, really shines. You know, they always talk about Anfield on a European night. So Champions League, of course, we're going to get a hard group because of the pot we're placed into. But I reckon that uh, anybody would be uh, afraid of, of facing Liverpool. In terms of the league, I'd love another title tilt. Uh, I'd love for us to be top three, top two. I mean, I'd love for us to win it, but I'd be happy with a top three, top two finish. Um, in terms of uh, what I'm most excited about uh, with the next season, is as much as it's the great uh, being able to lure great players to Liverpool with our Champions League and our attractive style of football is I'm most excited to see what A, Brendan Rodgers has learned from the last season and B, what he will learn in Europe. Because, I mean, as, ama- as an amazing job as he's doing right now, he still doesn't have the European experience. He still hasn't shown the experience that he will have gained from just missing out on a title. And these kind of things, you know, they excite me because in Europe you'll learn how to close the game out. You'll learn how to how to really uh, do the, 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 they say the devil's in the detail. You really learn how to do the finer things. And I think this is something that, that, that he will take into his stride, knowing Brendan. Um, uh, and Ivan, I'm going to jump in quickly there, dude. I, I, yeah. I, I like what you're saying because for me, Rogers is evolving as a manager. He's not just sitting there and, and, and doing the same thing over and over like Arsene Wenger's done, like Jose Mourinho's done. He's learning from his mistakes and he's actually taking the club forward not just, you know, sitting on a static plateau of playing the same football over and over. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. If you look at the little tactical nuances that he's learned, that he changes a bit 
you know, he changes from the diamond to the four-three-three. He tried, he tried Gerald in a in a two-man midfield. He learned very quickly that you don't do that. You put him back into a into a three-man midfield. If you look at how quickly he learns things, I think he's an exciting he's an exciting manager. And to think that this experience will only make him better is something that you know boggles my mind. And and hopefully he'll be around for a long time to come because I, I really see him as a, as a top, top quality manager. And in terms of uh, uh, when it comes to signings, I obviously there's always been, there'll always be names that you'll be linked with and everybody will always have their own alternatives. But I believe, you know, if the, the manager has a set of uh, criteria for who he wants and when people say they don't want Lalana and they'd rather have this, I always, I always say that there's a reason that he's pushing so hard for this player. I mean, he knows what the player is capable of. I mean, he's watched... For instance, Adam Lallana, 10 times more than any of us have ever watched him. Believe me, he's watched him time and time again, and he knows that this player is perfect for our system. There's a reason he'll prefer him and not, I don't know, any of these other extravagant names, especially when you're pushing north of £20 million. So I just believe it's about trusting, you know, Brendan Rodgers, and I, and I think with him at the helm, we can go very, very far. Great cool, stuff, man. Kaelin. Yeah, guys, I, I just wanted to talk about something quickly. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try and take as as little time as possible. I just wanted to talk a little bit about being, you know, a foreign-based fan. One of the, for me, one of the biggest sacrifices you make as a foreign-based Liverpool fan is Anfield itself and the community. You give that up. You're not there. You, you have to live far away, and the only way you can really identify, you know, with the brand is by buying things, and and that's that's not enough. People like uh, Trevor Downey, like Dan Shepard, they've written about it, but the sheer distance we're dealing with here is not something that, that people around Britain face. We're 9,300-odd Ks away from Liverpool itself. What do you do under that situation? You know, What do you do when the TV cuts away from Anfield too soon? How do you stand the time in between the matches? Where do you go? What happens when there's great victories, when there's huge losses? Yeah. Where, where do you put it all? You know, It's all this passion and emotion and you want to identify... And, you know, shit gets real here. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, but last year uh, there, was, there was a cop in Durban who actually pulled out a gun and shot his friend because it was right after a Liverpool United game. And uh, thankfully the guy didn't die. Uh, but in Kenya, similarly, a, a Liverpool fan died. He was stabbed to death, you know, over, over an incident. This is not to shed a bad light on Africa support, for example, um, I also know in England, for example, a couple of years ago, four Arsenal fans were arrested for the murder of a London-based Liverpool fan. Obviously, violence is extremely rare in all those communities. But I think it goes to show a little bit, you know, there's, there's, there's no um, way... Kaelin, Kaelin, yeah, yeah? Uh, just to jump in on the point, you know, I'm not sure. going to go as deeper about the death, but uh, I really think that uh, you really, for instance, for me, I really, really felt it when it, when it came towards the back end of last season. And I'm sure it's something that, Brent's touched on as well that when we when you saw the vines and all the YouTube videos and all the you know the gifts about yeah. the, the the bus entering yeah. the field and and when you when you see these things I mean it's you'd love to be there you know I mean that's where you when the moment you see it we'd love to be you know at at the cop singing uh, you'll never walk alone watching the players fight for a title and and unfortunately distance has not been fair to us in that regard but we do definitely feel these things. Yeah, no, for for sure, Ivan. You know, this is what, you know, it, it makes it very difficult to take. There is a small section. They're largely insignificant, and, and they are largely small. But there is a questioning of this foreign-based fan. You're not here. You don't feel it. You, you're not really part of the people that sort of matter. What I think yeah, those and then, specific and then we get called wolves. Yes, and and you know, 
I don't know, guys. Like personally, I, I actually take offence. I, I, I get, I get angry being called these names because somehow we less of a supporter than someone who lives in the same town and can walk to the match, where we have to save up twenty grand and take a week's leave to fly and watch a match with with the club that the club that we absolutely in love with and have supported for most of our lives. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, in a certain respect, Brent, I think, you know, what you're saying is it's, it's actually on a certain level harder for us to support Liverpool. We, we have to hold on to something, a place that we may never physically visit, people we may never physically see. We have to deal with decisions that we never have any input into. You know, it's, it's harder to maintain a loyalty over that amount of distance. But at the same time, you know, we can use that distance. That distance is good. We can question decisions and look at things in a different way. And maybe you guys have a different perspective on it. But for example, I don't really follow the England national team. But I care for the Liverpool players in there and and how well they're doing. I don't care really about players of English origin per se. But I care a lot about homegrown talent. You know, these are conversations we should have. The diversity is good. Um, I, I mean, you know, I got to be on this pod. And I think the difference... The difference that comes in with supporting a club like Liverpool is you get to participate in a community. Ever since social media has come up, ever, you know, even before that, since the days of the Liverpool on you know, the site fan forums, when that first started out, just to be able to interact with other Liverpool supporters internationally, even guys from Liverpool, it was, it was so exciting. You know, we got to do that. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I just hope sort of people start realizing that you know, we need that diversity. It's it's a good thing. But yeah, sorry. End of rant. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome point. Because no, no, not a rant at all, man. And, and obviously, we our international um, fans and we, we like to know these type of things. They obviously don't aren't really informed about what hap- the ins and outs of what happens on this side of the you know the world. But um, yeah, no, br- brilliant piece there, man. Um, yeah, you guys haven't left me much of of the upcoming season to chat about, but just a quick run through for me. Um, challenging for the league, second, third, you know, cementing a Champions League spot. No qualifying games. Um, Champions League itself, I, I agree with you guys fully. Um, quarterfinals, I'd love to get a big team. Um, let's say maybe like a Juventus or even Dortmund away first, home second. So let's see Anfield Rock like late at night on a Wednesday evening. And, um, yeah, not just uh, Brendan Rodgers, I have complete faith in him. I mean, let's trust the man. He knows what he's doing. He showed us this season. So, you know, long way to go forward, and, and I'm really excited for next season. Uh, just a quick t- tip on, on next season, or not tip at least, point on last, uh, next season. The fixtures were obviously released as well on uh, 18th of June. Um, some toughies for us, the first three games. Uh, we've got Southampton home. We've got... You sit the away and then Spurs away. Uh, was, I haven't got it the other way around. But but in any case, uh, my point is, um, you know, I, I don't even fear these big games. Let's let's have the big guys. You know, let let's get them out the way. You know, December's should be a, a straightforward run for us. Yeah, let's let's get the big guys out the way. Let's beat them. Start the season with nine points. You know, put a message out there. We we go again, man. That's you know that's the message from our captain. Yeah. So anyways, um. So we come to the topic that I mean, I guess everyone's been waiting for. You know, um, this obviously happened late last night, and Twitter's 
imploded basically with with this new debacle and um we haven't actually had much time to to chat amongst ourselves about the, the incident so so obviously i know tonight it's definitely going to kick off and i know mike is itching to get going there so mike what do you have to say about mr luis suarez what the fuck was he doing <laughs> probably an edit there lloyd uh what were you thinking luis I'm really pissed <laughs> off about the meal. Excuse the pun that everyone is making uh, of this. I believe that it's going to be very difficult to retain Luis of the latest incident. The press will sell tons of newspaper out of this. He will find life extremely difficult in the UK. Liverpool are also in a difficult position. Do they stand by him or not? In terms of his contract, there will be clauses that govern behaviour, and they could use this as an art. There's an article uh, by Jonathan Davies uh, today um, we, uh, an employment lawyer uh, states that Liverpool could sue Suarez for breach of con- uh, contract. Is she bringing the club into disrepute? This, I believe, will only happen uh, where Chelsea terminated his contract of being banned for drug offence. And that's only if FIFA clamp down on him and ban him for, from all football for an extended period. And that will only happen after Suarez ex- exhausted all legal routes. Generally speaking, FIFA would in normal circumstances impose sanctions for further international participation, and that could be for a maximum of two years or 24 matches. In exceptional circumstances, oh, Louis, why do I feel that you will be exceptional circumstances? They could extend the sanction to all football-related activity. This could effectively mean in a ban of up to two years. In these circumstances, Liverpool would have the full right to sue Louis and terminate his contract. I'm just not sure that uh, FIFA have the balls to impose a massive sanction of one of the world's best players that will include anything other than international bans. At least I hope not. I'm disappointed with Suarez, especially if the club has stood by him on two differing matters. Remember when we acquired him with a ban from Ajax for uh, Ajax for biting, which he did not serve here. What really pisses me off is the righteous behaviour of some pundits. We've had comments from our esteemed Alan Shearer. <laughs> Quote, FIFA should give him as long a ban as uh, they can. Three bites in your art. They should absolutely hammer him. Quote, unquote. He further calls for at least a half-season ban. Okay, this for a man that in 98 stamped on Neil uh, Lennon. Albert, Albert uh, Carlos Rae in the World Cup against Argentina, resulting in Sol Camp- uh, Campbell's winner being disallowed, and then England losing on penalties. In 02, he's banned for Elba in Canavara. In 05, Albert, both David Weir and Gareth Southgate. Fuck him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Edit it, it probably needed you. Robbie Savage states it's a disgrace. Quote, it's a disgrace. Suarez should never play international football again. Unquote. The same man who stated in 2013, um, AI, okay, not Anfield Index, but after Ivanovic, that, <laughs> quote, Biting cannot be condoned, but is no worse than career-threatening acts of violent conduct, spitting, or racism, unquote. The same Robbie Savage was labelled as the dirtiest player in Premier League history with 89 yellow cards. Dion Dublin and John Hartson on BBC3 apparently called for massive bans and uh, criticising Suarez's uh, conduct. The same Dion Dublin who headbutted Robbie Savage in 2003. The same John Hartson who in training in 98 kicked teammate Eyal Bekovic in the face who accumulated six red cards in the Premier League history in 156 matches. This excludes those picked up in Division I or playing for Celtic. To put this in perspective, it was more than Vinnie Jones as the highest in Premier League history. Danny Moore. Mike, um, 
didn't Robbie Savage also admit to playing at less than his best and putting less than his best effort in a training to try and push through a move away from a certain club? Yep, he did. He did. Yeah, he's definitely a scary yeah. guy, man. That's so, yeah. pot Danny Mills. and high horses. Yeah. Yes. Danny Mills, the same person who said that England should kick Suarez as early as possible to test his knee, said, quote, it has to be the longest ban in football ever. A worldwide ban, not just an international ban. They've got to throw him in jail and lock him up forever, unquote. The same damn Danny Mills is named in Four uh, Walls article in, in How to Eradicate Diving in 2012. Phil states that if the fine was two weeks' wages for every incident of violent conduct, then Danny Mills would probably have to take a part-time job to make ends meet. This is what really gets me, is the hypocrisy of it all. Any other player in this would die down fairly quickly after the World Cup. Note Nigel de Jong's assault on Javier uh, Alonso in 2010 uh, final. The problem is Louis' history and the fact that he's a repeat offender that makes it impossible to defend his behavior. And that saddens me. He's now set to lose sponsors with Triple Eight Poker announcing that they are reviewing their relationship with him. And it's been speculated that Adidas, which is obviously the big one, could follow suit. The worst for him that he has to face his wife. From what I understand, she will be less forgiving than anyone else. I've not dealt with a lot of very good sportsmen that have come out and slated losers. I think they have the right to do this, but I've highlighted the hypocrites. At this, season, at this stage, I'm preparing for the worst in the post-Suarez area at Liverpool this coming season. Fuck them all, Lloyd. Another edit required. Brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Mike. I, I, honestly, I was at a loss for words, and, and, and I have to share this with you guys. I remember very clearly and vividly the, the Branislav Ivanovic um, issue, um, or the bite at least. I was actually watching the, the, the game with my mate um, at my place. Um, he's a Chelsea fan, a massive Chelsea fan. Um, his name is Darren. He's on Twitter at Darren1. He, he asked me to do that. Um, but anyways... Yeah, we were watching the game, and, 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 and at the corner, obviously, we were 2-1 behind, and, and, and when the corner went in, and, and there was, you know, Luis's bite wasn't, was just off the camera, and I just remember silence, and then I knew it fucked up. I was like, oh my. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, even with last night's game, it was exactly the same, because the exactly. commentator was, the commentator was like, oh, I think he's hit, but, him, but I knew, ah, come on, we all knew, <laughs> deep down. Suarez just put another guy. I was like, oh my hat. And subsequently, my phone froze because Twitter was going totally insane. But anyways, um, yeah, I just to share that with you guys. My um, Brent, sorry. Um, yeah, what, what's your old take on the Suarez fight, man? Yeah, guys, I, I don't know. I think, I think Mike said it all. Um, I spent a lot of time on Twitter tweeting my thoughts and subsequently deleting them. Because as a Liverpool fan, no matter what you say... You are seen as defending him. You're seen as how can he support him still after all of this? And you know, like for me, I'm going along with what Mike says. Um, there's too much hypocrisy. The, the media conveniently forgets Roy Keane admitting to to trying to break someone's leg and and end their career. Um, you know, they forget about Cantona assaulting a fan on live television. Um, yeah, you know, I, I saw a guy asking if Adidas would would stand up and end their sponsorship deal with him. You know, Tiger Woods had a massive affair and public affair, and Nike st- uh, stuck by him. Um, you know, Cantona kicking the shit out of a fan. <laughs> you know, he didn't lose his sponsor. It, it's it's actually levels of ridiculousness. I mean, you know, he he's he's done what he's done. You know, I'm not going to try and defend it. I, I do, however, think he's not, not going anywhere. Um, I think FIFA are a bit more objective 
than the FA. I think the FA are, I'm sorry, extremely xenophobic. They don't like anyone who comes from a foreign land, um, especially someone who makes their teams look bad. I, I think he'll get a fair, a fair hearing. I think he'll get a, a, a match ban for violent conduct. Third, whether it's his third or fourth or whatever, I, I honestly think he'll, he'll get a short little uh, ban. I, I, I don't see the club selling him. These things go away eventually. And the question is, do you lose a player who's potentially title-winning, Champions League winning, and replace him with what? You replace him with three or four players, but as you see with Spurs, you can't replace a player of that world-class quality. I, I, I Seriously, I, I don't think that he's going anywhere, and I hope he doesn't. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll get vilified for that. I'll have, I'll have Arsenal and Manx. It's funny how it's the Manx. Um, Man United <laughs> fans yes. despise the guy. You know, he, he rips into shreds and, uh, <laughs> and suddenly they now they have him, a reason to, to hate him. Yeah, yeah they, they fear well, him, exactly. man. They fear him. Um, That's yeah, a... and I, I actually, I, I, I want to see him stick it to Evra and win the title and make his own little fake arm and pretend to eat it. Because just to say, you know, screw you, Evra, you're a prick. Everyone knows you're a prick. We saw what you did in the World Cup in South Africa with your team. No one likes you. You know, go to hell. And say the same thing to all the Man United fans because, <laughs> you know, these guys, they, they're now living examples of what hypocrisy is. They've spent their last 10 years saying Liverpool fans live in the past. Now they're doing exactly the same thing with their past. So I actually want to say, shove it up your ass. Um, you, you know, we on the way up, you're going down. You can look at Suarez and, and hate him all you want. He's staying. He's going to continue making, making you look stupid and scoring goals against you. And you know what? We're all, Liverpool fans are all applaud and we'll all enjoy it and we'll all laugh at you when we beat you again 5 0. Yeah, yeah, my uh, Brent, <laughs> awesome bit there, man. I was actually um, on, just on your, your, your point over there. Um, my fear, one of my fears at least, is that this, you know, for me, I, I picture the FA sitting in like the naughty little corner, rubbing their hands, like, ah, let's get a part of this, let's, you know, let's get in this, you know. And, and I fear that, you know, whatever ban FIFA do, you know, whatever they decide, I hope this doesn't trickle into the F, into, you know, Liverpool, his Liverpool career. You know, the FA could turn around and say, you know what, just the, Image is putting out there, and, and let's let's ban him for something. You know, they'll find something to <laughs> actually nail Suarez with. But in any case, Ivan. So, Lloyd, sorry, so just just quickly on that. One of the 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 points that uh, in FIFA's regulations is that uh, the FA. If what, so, if, if if let's assume FIFA uh, uh, say okay, it's an eight match uh, uh, ban that they put on on Suarez. The FA and UEFA can actually ask to have that extended uh, to cover their competitions as well. Ah, didn't know that. But yeah, that's that's the type of thing obviously that, that we fear. So that is, um, you know, his outburst doesn't affect us on a club level. But in any case, um, Ivan, I see you um, there to, to go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I am. I'm just, I was just wondering, do you think um, after this whole season of rehabilitation, and I know Gags touched on it on the AI podcast earlier today, I think it also might be a whole issue of uh, the whole Steve Peters and the, or should I rather say the lack of Steve Peters. You know, and Uruguay is treated as a, as a demigod almost. I mean, you know, brilliant player, uh, passionate country, and, and, you know, he can almost do nothing wrong. And I think, you know, especially with the trauma of injury and having to, uh, to, to recover in, in, in a specific time 
and he did talk about uh, mental, uh, you know, sapping. Uh, that I think that could have played a, played a big part. I think he didn't have any Steve Peters around. I think it was a critical time. He had to recover from the injury, both phys- physically and mentally. And when he got there, he's treated like a demigod. And, and I think that can take, uh, you know, a bit of the process and, and, and take it back. But on, on the club and keeping him in itself, I think, you know, at, he's a special, special player. And you have to stand by these type of players, no matter what they cause you. These are the type of players that can change a game, that can change a season, they can change, you know, the whole outcome of whatever game, whatever season, any time. He's the type of player that makes a difference. And these are the type of players you stick with. He's the type of player in the top, top bracket, top three, current form. I put him in my top two, top one, personally best in the world. I think there's only one other player who can do even half a much, half as much as he uh, he can in terms of variety of skills. And I think that's Messi. And I don't even think Messi presses as well as him. He's a football genius, and you keep football geniuses. You don't, you know, you don't just okay. He did. You 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 grin, you bear it, you keep him because you know he's the difference between a, a, a top four fight and a, and, and a title fight. He's the difference between aiming for Champions League quarterfinals and aiming for Champions League finals. And if he's you the do difference happen between Arsenal and Liverpool. Exactly. He's, he's, he's a world, world-class player, and honestly, I, I reckon he's probably the best we've seen at Anfield for 50 years, and you, and you don't play with that. And if you do happen to, to, to sell him, you make sure that you get the best price possible on this market, because, uh, I mean, I've read a lot of stuff, I've seen a lot of things, and, and I, I've seen a lot of fans uh, complaining that you should you know, let him go, you can't stick by him, this is another third time. You know what? When he's done everything that he's done, when he's brought you up into the world well, almost single-handedly or played a huge part in bringing you back into Champions League and restoring former glories, you, you bloody well stick next to him. I can assure you that. I tell you what, I, Ivan, um, Suarez, as far as I'm concerned, and a lot of people might uh, disagree with me, but in the time that I've been supporting Liverpool, I reckon Suarez would walk into any of the teams that, uh, that have played. Genius, man. He's a genius. The things he, the things he does, I couldn't even imagine. With the touches he makes, he's an unselfish player. He presses, and anybody else you get that you can get on the current market will not be able to press, uh, will not be able to finish, will not be able to create, and will not have the overall football genius as he does. And I think if there's anybody that can turn him around and rehabilitate him, it's definitely Steve Peters and Brendan Rodgers. If you look at the difference between last season and this season, it's amazing. And I think it's no, no coincidence that it happened in Uruguay where he's a demigod and there's no Steve Peters. Yeah, uh, for me, what, what uh, guys, I don't know if you've read that article by Wright Thompson on ESPN. It's a yeah, ridiculously amazing article. But I've been reading up on, you know, the specific use of sort of the bite as an attack. And I think it makes a difference to how Liverpool move forward in this. So the science behind it means that basically it's not a madness and it's not an evil thing. So essentially, in this debate on Twitter, um, if we can take it like that, we can look at it as a big group of Liverpool fans and a big group of non-Liverpool fans actually being wrong. But basically what happens is there's no thought process before and there's no consideration for what happens afterwards. It's actually instinctual. So it is, it, it, it is, it is what makes him do what he does. But what basically is happening here is that these experts are saying it's not a psychological issue. Counseling is not going to help. Bans are not going to help because it's not to do with madness or with badness. It's instinctual, which means he's going to do it again. So if that's right, I mean, if not, Steve Peters, brilliant. He hasn't done it for us the entire season. Get him working on it and doing that. But if not, then the club is in a very serious position. He's, he's our best asset. He's too valuable. 
He's too valuable. Taking a punt on somebody who's bitten somebody who wants at 20 million is an entirely different proposition to taking a punt on somebody at 100 million who's bit somebody three times. So that's, you know, how that affects the transfer dealings and stuff like that, that's a problem. But I think the question I'd put to you guys is, if he carries on doing this, if every sort of couple of years he's going to bite somebody else, is that a problem? That's actually yeah. the thing, isn't it? Eh? That's, that's, that's the, the, the crux of it, I guess. Like, you, you sat in a position as a Liverpool supporter as to like, you know, the Manx all on your, on your case and everyone on yeah. Twitter is going crazy. But I mean, like, do, do you even have a defense? You, you have absolutely nothing to say. I mean, I, 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 I like the whole feel of, of, of the discussion where, you know, we're not defending the guy. Definitely none of us would defend him. Uh, and we're looking to the future, you know, like, is he going to stay? We should hold on to him, you know, because at the end of the day, we all want to see Luis Suarez pull on the red jersey next season and just absolutely destroy teams in the Champions League. But I guess, uh, uh, touching on what Kalen was saying, you know, you, you, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place because you can't really defend the guy. Yeah. What he's done is, is is wrong on so many levels, you know, and, and you know, you can't defend him. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, Ivan, uh, Lloyd, I just, I just wanted to touch on that, and I think, you know, Caden was talking about it being instinctive and you can't really change it. But if, if you ask me, and I think if you ask a lot of people, they'll agree with you. I think when you look at Suarez, since Maradona, I've never seen a player with as much will to win. You know, I mean, there's, since the likes of Maradona, and since he's got that grit and he's got that class. And, and when it comes to it, would you want to curb this? Would you want to curb that will to win? I mean, would you want to get him to stop doing these antics if it changed him, if it changed his will to win? And, and and my answer, although it may be you know politically incorrect and whatnot, is, is is I'd keep it exactly the same because for those five, six, seven days of controversy and and whatever, you get countless moments of brilliance throughout the season. And maybe that's just my view. And on uh, on Mike's point, sorry, I forgot to bring it up. Was uh, uh, apparently, well, from what I've heard, is that uh, none of the British pre- uh, none of the international press, sorry, have actually asked or have actually been bothered by this whole scandal, is actually only the British press, and apparently the Americans pay, a, uh, pay you know, an abnormal amount of attention to it. And, you know, you're talking about America, the land of Mike Tyson, and so on. So, really, it's actually just something that, that, that's being brought up by the British uh, press to create this atmosphere. And I think that's actually pretty unfair. Yeah, you know, I, I, haven't, I, hear, what, I hear what you're saying. Um, I just, I, I do feel... What Louise has done is, is um, you cannot defend. Um, and I look, I don't think that you were trying to trying to defend it. Um, he has to change this um, somehow. Or other, and I know you know, I know that the that, that the press uh, has has been blowing this out of proportion. And to your point, in fact, at the the um, the, the press conference in the Italy um, uh, Uruguay game. The only people who raised uh, uh, the biting incident were the English press. The international press didn't ask one question about the biting in- incident. So, you know, he is going to be hounded in uh, in the UK. Um, his wife has played a huge role in terms of uh, calming him and settling him this past year. I'm just not sure that that's going to be um, the same level this uh, uh, this time. Um, and I think that we may see the end of Louis in uh, um, Liverpool, sadly. And he is, a, he is an absolute genius um, that, that cannot be lost. 
Definitely, man. Um, yeah, just a point from my side. Uh, you know, definitely it's been mentioned a couple of times, and I actually had a chat with one of my co- uh, work colleagues today. Um, what he mentioned was it, it's, it seems to be like a, a, a momentary fit of rage that he goes through. You know, I, don't, I honestly don't think exactly. that, that Louis even knows what he's doing in the, you know, 10 seconds, 5 seconds, whatever it is. You know, it's almost like if you were in a bar fight and you just completely black out and you see the other guy laying on the ground, for example. But I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even think, and, and then what, what gets me is I think he actually realizes after it's happened that, you know, oh fuck, you know, I fucked up or, you know, the repercussions come afterwards. Um, I know that the camera was panning around after, you know, they won and, and I might be mistaken, but I didn't actually see Suarez with the rest of the team. They were all hollowed in a circle and jumping around. He was obviously went to the crowd and pointed to what I'm assuming was was his family. But I mean, in that moment, he had this you know confused bit of a little look on his face. It's almost like, what the fuck have I actually done? You know what I mean? And and I just feel that once again on the, on the point that that Ivan also raised, Steve Peters. I think that 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 was a huge um, you know. Maybe a, a step back for him. Maybe you know he's, he's gone through the whole rehabilitation during the season, and you know they've they've kept him in check because he hasn't really had any outbursts in the Premier League season. But I mean, as soon as you take, for, say for example, like a, a a drug addict, you need that constant, you know, pep talk, and you know, keep someone to keep you in line. And you know, maybe without that, he you know took took his own liberties and you know went his own way. So um, yeah, Luis Suarez. I love you as a, as a player, man, and long may you be a Liverpool player. Um, I, I'm sure we'll hold on to him. It, it would be cool if we could do something sneaky like bait Barca with Suarez and then get Sanchez and keep Suarez. That would be fucking awesome, man. Or or like what I mentioned in the chat earlier. Oh, today. dude, yes. Yes. <laughs> I know Ivan was having a laugh. I was like, fuck it, man. Let's do Suarez plus 20 million. Give us Messi. I'll have that any day. <laughs> do, you, do you guys have anything else to add on the the old Luis Suarez uh, saga? No, just that I, I think he's uh, a flippant sly guy because not once has he been caught by the ref. It's only after uh, after videos and, and reviews. I mean, he's flippant sly if, he, if he's doing it on purpose because not once has he actually been seen by the ref doing it. Luis Suarez has never lost a game when biting an opponent. <laughs> so that tweet, man. Anything else you guys would like to add, Brent, Mike? Uh, I'm 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 cool on on that, Lloyd. Thanks. I think uh, I think I've said wh- uh, what I've had to say about Suarez. Except I would love him to still pull on the red uh, uh, next year. Great stuff, man, Mike. Um, yeah, just just to, to to close everything off, guys. Well done. We've actually finished the inaugural um, essay podcast, and and I think we we did a brilliant job. Um, yeah, and, and long may it go on from here, man. Let it let it pick up and let it grow. Um, get all the South African guys involved. Let them start listening to this podcast. You know, it's, the sky's the limit for us, I guess. So yeah, once again, I'd, I'd like to thank everyone on the panel today: um, Ivan Devine, Mike Kroch, um, Brent Fenter, Kalen Karim, and, and myself, Lloyd Hicks. To every South African supporter out there listening, your support will make us grow this podcast exponentially and a special thanks to Gag Standen and the Anfield Index guys without you we would have never got this off the ground and long may it continue cheers guys you'll never walk alone